Hey guys, welcome to a public podcast. My name is Kristen Arp, Sprouts and Roots Director at Public Church. Today's talk comes from our current series, Pursuit, which is all about being passionate for the next generation. Thank you for being part of our public podcast audience. My prayer is that you are challenged and changed by today's message. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Colin. I'm the family's pastor here at Public Church. I'm getting to, to speak this week. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of this. Um, we've been in a series called Pursuit, and we're talking about how our lives are, are part of what we do inside of being the church together is pursuing the next generation. And so we're going to continue talking about that today. Uh, first of all, I want to say this. Can everybody give it up for our lobby crew, people sitting out there in the lobby, giving seats in here? You guys are awesome. Um, so last week, Nathan Eaton, our campus pastor, got to speak, and, uh, and he, he really challenged everybody to step up and to help inside of our, our, our uh, next generation areas, and so to, to volunteer to help in Sprouts or in Roots or in public students, um, and also to help out in safety. And we had 13 people sign up last week. Isn't that awesome? Okay. <laughs> we'll try that one more time. Uh, we had 13 people sign up last week. Isn't that awesome? Yay! And guess what? You can still sign up. Um, so if you'd like to, get your phone out right now. Go to publicchurch.com. Go to signups. Sign up to be a part of a team. We'd really, really appreciate it. So I'm going to continue in this series of pursuit, talking about how it's our role to fight for the faith that we're supposed to be handing down. So we're going to be in a letter. The, it's in the New Testament called Jude. It's the second to last book in the New Testament. And so to, to kind of uh, I don't know, get this out up front. Uh, my oldest son's name is Jude. And people ask a lot, you know, if this is, ex- if this is why we named him Jude. And it's not. We're just really big Beatles fans. Um, huh? Come on, just sing. I'm not going to sing. It's not going to happen. Wait. Uh, you didn't get, hey, Jude, it's okay. Um, <laughs> so if you ever go up to my oldest son and sing, hey, Jude, he's going to be like, yeah, that happens all the time. Um, but uh, we are also big fans of this letter. Um, I do like the letter that Jude wrote a, a long time ago. Uh, but what's really cool about this is he wrote to people from an interesting perspective. So Jude was Jesus's half-brother, okay? So what we, what we learned from the New Testament is that Jesus's half-brother, so these are Mary and Joseph's other kids, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, was who he said he was, until after he died, So Jude grew up next to Jesus. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your older brother? Can you imagine how many times Mary was like, Jude, could you not be more like Jesus? You know, like, come on. Like, how awful would this be? Like, everything he did wrong would literally be the exact opposite of what Jesus did, you know? And then to have Jesus constantly being nice about it would be even worse, you know? Because I can imagine Jude trying to pick a fight and Jesus being like, no, man, it's okay. You know, let's... (laughs) I don't know, I, I, it's really hard to imagine all of this, but I, my, my, my brain goes there sometimes. But here's Jude, who did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was for his entire life. He sees and knows that his brother is crucified, and then he gets it, right? Jude's like, man, that guy, he was for real. Now, it'd be very easy for somebody like Jude to say, like, I have so much shame, so much like, frustration in myself that I would want to almost shrink to the background, I wouldn't want anyone to ever know who I was because then they'd be like, oh, you didn't believe in him his whole life and you like lived with him and that'd be hard. But instead of like shrinking back to the background or just ignoring what he could do, Jude writes letter, especially this letter to the church that is the Holy Spirit inspiring him. And he, he steps up to become this leader in the church. And I think that's amazing because maybe some of you guys have stories like that. I know I do where I, I, I haven't always lived the best life. 
And it's easy to let shame and things like that stop you from doing what God's calling you to do. But here's Jude giving, giving us an example of someone who says like, man, forget what happened before. Let's move forward with what God's calling us to. So he, uh, he writes this letter and he's talking about things that are worth fighting for. Has anybody ever been in a fight that was not worth it? Anybody ever done that? Not like a fist fight. I'm talking like an argument. Anybody ever fought over something that wasn't worth it? I've done a lot of those. And in fact, if you're married, you should absolutely be raising your hand. Okay. Like that's absolutely happened. Um, but even when I was younger, my sister and I would fight when we were in the car over who was looking out of whose window. So like, we'd like tell Angie like, oh, she's looking out my window. And then she'd tell me all the stuff. And my mom would finally be like, all right, they're all my windows. Nobody can look out any of them. <laughs> they're all mine. Just close your eyes. Uh, I used to, I would fight over song lyrics. Anybody ever fought over song, song lyrics? Like what the actual lyrics were? Who in here was like blatantly wrong? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, come on, own it. Man, that was me every time. I'm just gonna give you guys some, some like stuff here. So first of all, it is not Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza. That is not what that song is, as much as I was sure it was. It is not Give Me the Beach Boys to Free My Soul. They didn't listen to the Beach Boys. That's not the, um, so song lyrics. Yeah, we'll fight over that stuff. Uh, all right, if you're, if you're married, here's one that uh, I, I'd love to, to know if you thought of this. Any married couple ever fought over who's more tired? Anybody done that? There's no winning that fight, <laughs> right? Because you're always just gonna go back and forth over what would make somebody more tired and there's no like, you know you're more tired and then she knows she's more tired and then eventually you have to just acknowledge that I'm always right. Um, but you know, some fights aren't worth having. Some fights are not worth it, but some things are worth fighting for. This whole letter that Jude writes is about fighting for our faith because what we fight for today is what we pass on to the next generation. So let's start reading. In Jude, it's, it's one chapter, so I'm just gonna start calling out verses. Um, but in Jude, verse three, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. So when he says he's very eager, it's, it's man, he's saying, I, I was so excited. Like what I really wanted to do, I had this great motivation to write you a letter and talk to you about what brings us all together. About, hey man, like we believe in Jesus and he changes things. He wanted to write about what was common for them, what unified them. Their common belief in Jesus was something that was like exciting for him. He was saying, man, let's talk about this. It, it kind of reminds me of this. It was like, you know, he's wanting to write this really nice letter. Has anybody in here ever written, you don't have to acknowledge this if you don't want to. Has anybody ever bought a, uh, a thinking of you card? Like you were in like books a million and you were just like, oh, thinking of you, I should get that. And here's somebody I should write that to. I've never in my life done that <laughs> because I'm a terrible person. Like I, I have never seen one of those cards and thought I should actually put words in that and send it to someone because I just don't care about anybody. That, I'm kidding. I, I do care. I'm, I, but I don't, I don't think about things like that, right? I don't think about writing encouraging letters. I'm not a nice person in that capacity. And that's what Jude's wanting to do, right? He's thinking of this church and he's like, man, I just need to write them encouragement. I just want to write and encourage them a little bit. Talk about like Jesus changed things for us. This is awesome. So he's really excited about that. But then he says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So when he, it says he found it necessary. What that means is he experienced a compelling obligation. So Jude is sitting here, he sits down, he's going to start writing this letter about, you know, how, how they're, they have this common belief in Jesus, and then he was very excited for this to be encouraging to this church, and instead the Holy Spirit compels him and gives him this obligation to write a letter instead that says you have to fight for, contend for the faith 
That word contend, it means to exert intense effort on behalf of something. It's a word that was used mostly to talk about fights like in the Olympic games or fights like, you know, real fights. And so he's literally saying, I want you to go toe to toe to defend and to fight for this faith. I was going to write to you telling you, man, hey, we have this thing in common, this belief in Jesus that's uniting all of us, and this is really, really cool. But instead, the Holy Spirit has obligated me to tell you, you have to fight for the faith. What he means by the faith is the content of what Christian people believe. So this isn't up for debate. It was once and for all delivered to us. This is more than just common belief that Jesus is who he says he was, because Jude makes that distinction. So he's saying, I want you to understand that you have to fight to hold on to what we believe is true. Why in the world would Jude call good church-going people to fight someone over what they believed? I think the first answer is because humans throughout the Bible have shown a remarkable tendency to adjust faith for the culture. I'm not talking about methods, right? Methods change all the time. The way we do stuff, I mean, thank Jesus that we have air conditioning, right? Yeah, that's a good thing. Anybody like air conditioning? I really do. Um, but you know, it, again, so at the beginning of the church, there was no air conditioning, and we're saying that's a method. So it's okay for us to say, hey, we'll take air conditioning inside of current modern day buildings where we meet together because... Yay, right? It's okay for us to do that. So it's not, we're not talking about methods, but throughout the history, especially if you read the Bible, you'll see the people that believe in God changing the message of what they believe, the content of their belief based on where they were, who was around them and what was popular that day. You'll see them bringing other things into the message because it made them more popular. And the problem with that is that a man-created faith has no ability to give life to dead people. You see, a faith that I write myself just because it feels good to me and it fits and makes me popular has no ability to do anything good for you. So Jude is saying we have to fight because we have a natural tendency to deviate from truth, deviate from the messes, deviate from the faith, because this faith doesn't always fit well with culture. And there's always been those who are willing to fight for man-created faith, right? There's always going to be people who are willing to fight and say, that's outdated. That's not, that doesn't work in today's age. That doesn't work now. That's not the same thing anymore. It's totally different now. And you just say, no, you have to fight and contend for the truth of what we believe. Second of all, I think that he's telling us we have to fight for this because what we fight for today is what we will hand the next generation tomorrow. You see, whatever we fight for, whatever in the church that the next generation sees us stand up and make a big stand on saying, this is important, right? What they see us mark is important enough to fight over is what they're going to say, okay, well, I guess that's what's important. Maybe there's some of you who have grown up in places where the wrong things have been fought for in the church. Maybe you were disillusioned with the church for a while because of some of those fights. Some people, I mean, I've heard stories. I've, I've not actually seen one actually happen. I've heard of like some fight fights happening in churches, and that's just kind of silly to me. But, I, you know, some of the things that are fought over are things like literally like the color of the building, right? Anybody ever heard of that? Like literally, you know, screaming, yelling, you know, leaving, going crazy over what color a building's going to be. 
Do you think that's the faith that Jude is calling us to fight for? Because green is holier than red. No, of course not, right? Sometimes you'll see fights over which instruments are holy. <laughs> that's always funny to me because uh, I read a, a statement. It's one of my favorites I ever read about worship one time. And it said that God loves far more styles of music than you do. And I was like, oh, that's good, <laughs> right? Because just because my preference isn't met does not mean that it's not something that's pleasing to God, right? But that's stuff that you'll see people fight over. You'll see fights in churches over clothing, like what's, a, what's okay, what's not okay, what can happen, what can't happen. Those hippie pastors with their long hair, um, all that kind of silly stuff. <laughs> Awkward. Um, but you also see things that are ignored that are important, right? Stuff that should be fought for that get ignored, that get placed kind of like in a, a zone of we don't talk about it. And what you ignore will be seen as unimportant or taboo. So maybe you grew up in a not hearing things talked about in terms of like sexuality, right? It's a lot easier to ignore, to not talk about it. And so by ignoring things like sexuality, what has happened inside of the church for generations is you've had young people falling into utter addiction to pornography without the ability to talk about it right? And then if anything is said at all, usually it's just a very blanket statement of sex is bad. And so then you have young people getting married and going into their marriage with shame because they don't understand how to make that switch turn. So sexuality gets ignored and not fought for to make sure we're teaching truth. And then it's just a realm of darkness for the next generation. Sometimes we don't talk about things like giftedness, you know, the Holy, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to people who follow Jesus so that they can serve other people. God has never called someone to nothing, right? He's not called you and said, yes, I want to adopt you as my child. Now go and be a really warm seat. He's gifted you to serve a church. And yet, a lot of times you don't get to hear that. And so it becomes this nebulous zone of, well, I don't know what my gift is and we don't really talk about it. So I guess I'll be the seat warmer. Sometimes we, we ignore things like poverty and the reality of poverty in the world today because it's a lot easier to not look at it than it is to talk about our responsibility to help those in need. So then what we do is we, we train the next generation to be a group of people that in the world they live in, they turn a blind eye to people in poverty. And this is just my experience. Like literally, this is just things that I've grown up in and things, stupid stuff I've fought for and very important things that I've ignored. You see, we, we, we tend to fight for all the wrong things and not stand and fight for things that are actually important. It says in the next verse, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. So what, he, what Jude's saying is, listen, you've got to contend for the faith because there are people who will fight for all the wrong things. There are people that are meeting with you that are fighting for things that are not true and that will destroy. The word designated is the word prographo, and it means written in advance about. So what he's saying is, man, this has been written since the Old Testament times that when 
Jesus came, there was going to be his people set up and there would be, in fact, a lot of times it's referred to as wolves that come in among sheep, right? So people who would come in that don't have your best interest at heart, but want you to make much of them and they're gonna fight for that. So what, he's, what Jude's saying is, man, you have got to fight for the faith because your natural tendency is going to be to deviate. He continues to talk about these people, and he says, these are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude states his reasoning for asking these people to fight for the faith, and it's because there were people attending their church that wanted to use God's grace as a license to sin. So what these people were saying, and, and, and man, I've, I've heard this a ton, like we, it's easy to talk about how forgiving God is, right? It's really easy to talk about grace. It's really easy to talk about, man, Jesus can forgive anything because those things are very, very true, right? In fact, that's kind of how we open this up. We shouldn't let shame stop us from letting Jesus use us now because he can give utter grace and complete forgiveness. This is an amazing truth. But he also cares about how we live our lives today. There are things that are wrong that he does not want us to do. Sin is a real thing and it does destroy. By using God's grace as a license to sin, they're showing their true master. Because what they're saying is like, what, what matters to me is more important than anything else in the world. The, the Bible's clear. There's no separation of Jesus as Savior from Jesus as Lord. To follow Jesus is to surrender your own farce of a kingdom and to submit to Jesus as king. What he's saying is there's going to be people that show up and they're not searching for faith. They're not searching for answers. They're not figuring things out. I hope there's a lot of people in this room today that are here looking for who Jesus is. But what Judas is warning is that there's some people that have no interest in Jesus. They see a room full of people that can serve them. They see a room full of people that they can make a profit off of or can make themselves feel better because of. And that is not what this faith is about. So it kind of describes the problem of what these people are going to look like. And it's in uh, several verses after this. So five through like verse 16 or 17. And I, I'm going to give you just kind of a, a snippet of some of this. I, I'd really ask you guys, study Jude this week. Go read it. It's literally, it's one chapter. It'd be really easy to take some time to study it. But he goes through some Old Testament references. He goes through some Jewish literature to talk about uh, examples of people who deviated from what God's plan was and then the destruction that happened because of that. That when we, when we follow our own plans, when we follow after especially sinful desires, it is going to destroy. And when we follow after God, then it's when things are right and when things are gonna give us satisfaction. He even describes people in this church with some metaphors. He talks through a lot of things, and, and I'm telling you, it's, it's a lot of great stuff to read through. But I want to skip way ahead to verse 16. And he, as, in talking about these people, he says, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So here's Jude describing the people that were coming in that weren't interested in Jesus, that were fighting against what real faith was, okay? In his description, the first thing he calls them is grumblers. What that is is a murmurer 
one who discontentedly complains. So these are the people who, maybe they don't think their spiritual gift is warming a seat, but their spiritual gift is criticism. <laughs> Anybody have ever met somebody with a spiritual gift of criticism? You're sitting next to him, aren't you? You're being quiet. I got it. Um, man, I've been that guy. I have been the guy that sat thinking I'm the professional critic of everything going on at this church, and I should tell all my friends all about it. Now, I'm not going to tell any of the people actually doing anything, because that'd be awkward. <laughs> but everybody sitting next to me, sure, I'm going to tell all of them. I'm going to complain about all the things I don't like, all the, the songs I wish weren't sung, all the things that are talked about that I, I, I wish weren't talked about. But I'm not going to tell Cody, I'm not going to tell Todd, I'm not going to talk, you know, that, that's, that's weird. But everybody in my circle, of course, they need to know all the things that I would absolutely just do differently because I'm perfect in every way. He says the next thing he talks about them is their malcontents. These are people who talk about how their life is just so bad. Man, I just, my, my iPhone screen cracked. I, I'm, I'm failing one of my classes. My AC quit in my car. Uh, anybody in here, all three of those things? Three, I'm kidding, you don't have to raise your hand. Um, you, you, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. Where everything is wrong, but it's everyone's fault but mine. It has nothing to do with the fact that I dropped my phone. It's that, it, you know, no, it's cracked. It's, it's the world's fault. Of course this would happen to me. <laughs> Next thing he says, they're, they're, so they're grumblers, they're malcontents. They're chasing after their sinful desires. So these would be the opposite of the desires that Jesus gives us. Jesus, in changing us, gives us the desire to bless others, to forgive and to serve. Naturally, what we're born with is a desire to be blessed, to make uh, others deal with us, to, to have others serve us, to hold grudges, to, to harbor bitterness and resentment towards other people, right? That's our natural tendency. Jesus is the only one that gives us the ability to chase anything else. He says they're boasters. This word literally means somebody who's over-swollen, and what that means is somebody who's making much of themselves. So they're showing up talking, man, man, I've got it all figured out. I've got all that. Look, you know, look how good I am. It's one of my favorite things to, to just kind of talk about. I know I bring it up a lot, but it's, it's the whole thing of, you know, when you're driving in and you're cussing your family on the way into the parking lot. And then as soon as you open the window, you're like, hey, Betty, how are you? <laughs> that, right? Because what you're doing is you're putting on a show so that you look better. Now, I'm not saying you should start cussing the people in the parking lot. Please don't do that. <laughs> that, that that's going to get awkward too. But what I'm saying is, is if your kids, if your friends watch you putting on the show so that others can think more highly of you, that's the faith they're going to understand. Right? They're going to see that that's what this faith is about. The next thing he says is they're showing favoritism. This means that you hold something in admiration for profit. So you, you would look at a crowd of people inside of a room like this and you'd think, how can they serve me? How can this group of, group of people benefit me? How can this group of people make my life better, make me feel better, make me feel like I want to? And that's the opposite because inside of the faith that Jesus has given, we're supposed to be making much of Jesus right? Pointing to me and saying, yes, I'm broken and I have messed up and I've done all kinds. I could, I could go on forever telling you all the silly things I've done. 
And the only thing that changed anything in me is Jesus himself. What bothers me about this list, it's not that I disagree with it. I I completely agree. This is very hurtful inside of a church when you have people who are grumblers and malcontent and chasing their own desires and boasting and showing favoritism. Yes, I can, it's clear to see how inside of a church that would destroy things, right? Very easy. Like, I don't think I have to describe that too much. What really bothers me about this list is I can see myself in all of those things. I've been and I continue to sometimes be all of these. So by my very actions, though I, I'm up here talking about and teaching a, 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 about a letter that talks about defending our faith and fighting for the faith that was once and for all handed down, by my actions, I'm sometimes fighting against that very faith. By the way I live, when I'm doing these things, I'm fighting against the faith that Jesus handed down. So when we, have to, we get to come to this, though. What's the answer? If Jude is sitting here and he sets this up, he's writing this letter to church saying, hey, I wanted to talk about something that unified us, but instead I've got to tell you, you have to fight for what is true. You have to fight for the faith because there are people fighting against it. And in fact, in your lives, you're probably living in ways that fight against the faith. And people are watching you. and They're not understanding what the truth of Jesus's message is. So what's the answer? Look in verse 17. It says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. So that word predictions is again, prographo, which means it's the word spoken beforehand by the apostles. So what Jude is literally telling them to remember is what we have right here, the New Testament. He's saying, remember the words that God has spoken through these people. We don't get to create the faith. It can only come from God. So one of the things that's our first like answer, if we're going to live this, if we're going to live our lives as people who are following Jesus, okay, I get it. I need to fight for the faith. I need to fight for what's true. Our first answer is we have to know what the truth is. We have to actually read and study God's words. We have to understand what he has said to people throughout generations and see what the character of God is and see what's important to God because we should fight for what's important to God. What is important to him should be important to me. Because what we fight for today will be passed down to the next generation. And they're watching us now. He talks about this, and and it might be easy to read this letter and and think that this is causing division, right? Because he's saying, hey, there's there's something that is true, and you have to fight for it, and it can seem like fighting or contending for something would be divisive. But it's exactly the opposite that's true. It is only the faith that Jesus gives that can unify us. Because otherwise, everybody gets to decide for themselves what's true, and we have a million different faiths represented, right? Right? True faith can only be what Jesus says is true faith. And again, part of the reason we fight for our faith is because we are handing it down. You see this story over and over and over through the Bible of generations handing down a faith. And sometimes the generation hands a a pretty broken appearance of faith. Read the book of Judges. 
It's nonstop. Hey, everything was really good, and then it went really bad. And then they, they, they said, God, we want to follow you again. And then it's really good for a little bit, and it's really bad again. We have those same tendencies. But the next generation is watching you for how to prioritize God's words. So if the Bible is important to you, then it's going to be understood to be important to the the younger people watching you. If the Bible is unimportant to you, they're going to understand it shouldn't be important for them. The next answer he gives us is, uh, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So this, this, this section is talking about how we keep ourselves in the love of God. And the first thing that we do is we build ourselves up in our faith. So that, that phrase, build yourselves up, refers to building something on something already built. So Jesus is the foundation of faith that we get to continually grow in. This pursuit happens in the community of the church, right? When you build up your faith, that's not something that happens only in isolation, only when you're sitting by yourself. In fact, you cannot do everything that the Bible tells you to do unless you're doing life with other people, right? There's way too many one to another or to each other phrases, commands inside of the Bible for us to live isolated lives. The first thing that tells me is, man, you guys need to be in community groups. I'm giving a small plug just for that. If you have kids, if you're a parent in this room, your children need to see you in a community group. They need to see you living an authentic life with other adults because that's the example they're going to follow in. If they see you being the professional critic or the really good seat warmer and your life looks totally different throughout the week with no pursuit of God, that's going to be the example that they understand they should follow in faith apart from Jesus changing things for them, right? These others divide, but Jesus unites the church to himself. Next thing he says about keeping ourselves in love of God is that we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. This is something that convicts me because I know my children don't see me pray enough. My children don't see me prioritizing and understanding and showing them that I really believe that the prayers of God's people do things, right? There's power in this. They're effective. James tells us that that our prayers are effective as we're praying them. My kids need to see that in me. My kids need to see that I believe that's true because God says it's true, that that's true faith. If you're a parent, your kids need to see you pray. Your roommate needs to see you pray. Your younger siblings need to see you pray. Your friends, your coworkers, they need to see you pray because if it's true, it should be a priority. Lastly, he says that we're waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. We have to focus on what's eternal. The eternal is infinitely more valuable than the temporary. We have a hope that needs to be shared. But if we were to take a survey, I mean, again, we could do this through every generation, but what would the, the youngest generation now tell others that was the priority of the church today? 
What's important? If they're watching even maybe just your life, what would they say you show is the importance of faith today? Let's move on. It says in the next verse, I love this. And have mercy on those who doubt, but save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I love this phrase because it's the exact opposite of what we would do in our natural flesh, right? Because if we're looking, we see people coming in and they're fighting for the wrong things or they're, they're only fighting for themselves or making much of themselves. When Jesus says make much of him, our answer is kick them out, <laughs> get rid of them. Jesus's answer is forgive them, pursue them and love them. Have mercy on the very people. And you want to know what's great about that? The very people that are causing some of these problems are people like me who's discontent and grumbling and chasing my own desires. I am those people. And God, in his great mercy, says we're to have mercy too. The ones we're fighting against to guard the faith, we're to have mercy on them because we're not fighting people. We're fighting for faith because God loved them enough to send his son to die. Because we were once these people, self-appointed kings and queens of our own kingdoms and in desperate need of a savior and a true king. We have to remember the stakes that we're talking about eternity. The other thing is he says, when you're having mercy, when you're in pursuit of these people trying to contend for the true faith, he says to be careful having fear the reason he says that is because we're very quick to become arrogant, thinking I would never fall into whatever that is, right? We're very quick to be judgmental of others and see somebody in moral failure and say, I would never do that. Man, be careful with that arrogance. Because you can find yourself there in a few years. I, I've, if there's anything I've learned, it's that anyone can fall into anything in the right circumstances if they're not on guard. If I believe myself unable to, to commit something, unable to do wrong, just because, not because of Jesus in me, but because of my own ability to be good, then I'm going to fail at a lot of things. So he says, yes, pursue these people who don't understand the faith, who are fighting, maybe even utterly fighting against faith. Pursue, but be careful that you don't fall into the same traps. See, Jesus died to bring us out of death and into life, to restore our brokenness and bring us into God's kingdom, to adopt us into the family of the God of the universe. He created this faith and we have to fight for it because what we fight for today will be passed down to the next generation. So, Will you study to learn what God says our faith is? Will you prioritize what his truth is over your preference? Will you pray realizing that communion with God is extremely important and that prayers are effective? Not just praying for yourself and things that you want, but praying for the next generation that they would know the truth of who God is. Will you live your life prioritizing what is eternal over what is temporary? 
showing not just the next generation, but man, this generation and the generation that came before us, that what is eternal is infinitely more valuable than what is temporary. Fighting, there's so much time that we spent fighting for things that don't matter. And we spent so little time fighting for stuff that does. Will you commit to fighting for this faith that we can hand something beautiful to the next generation that they can understand who Jesus is and what he came to do? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you change things in us today. God, I thank you so much that you changed everything when you set me free from my slavery to sin, but I'm not changed enough. I pray you continue that work in me and God, help me to fight for this faith, to fight for what's true. Help me to prioritize what's important to you and help me to let go of what's not important. God, convict us to continue building on what you've already laid a foundation for that we can let the church of tomorrow inherit something that is beautiful and that is based on your truth. Help us to fight for the faith that was once and for all handed down so that others can know who you are. In your name I pray.